So Matthew 3, 1 to 12. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptising, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Hello. Thanks for reading, Jack. Uh, are we good there with the lapel mic? Excellent. It's a, bit, it's a new one, so yes. <clears throat> All right. Who likes cherry tomatoes? Yes. Yes. Well, Samantha and I have been growing some cherry tomatoes, some cherry tomato plants. I say Samantha and I, it's really Samantha, um, she's done most of the work. I did water them a few times, so I'll take that. Um, but these are the most delicious, juiciest cherry tomatoes I've ever tasted. Oh, so good. Um, these plants have, have grown well, they're, they're strong and flourishing. And the cherry tomatoes they've produced show that the plants are healthy, and we get to enjoy the fruit of that. The question that I want to begin with this morning is, how can we be like those cherry tomato plants as Christians? How do we produce good fruit in the Christian life? How do we grow in godliness, in character, in being like Jesus? If you're anything like me, you'll know that oftentimes, as Christians, we continue to struggle with the same things. The same sins seem to plague us and weigh us down. Our faith is not the robust thing that maybe it once was. We don't grow in the way that we'd like to. We lack joy and obedience in following God. So how do we produce good fruit in the Christian life? Answer from this passage in Matthew's Gospel. Repentance. Repentance. As we heard earlier from Jack, repentance is a turning around. Recognising you've gone down the path of sin, of living your own way. 
You stop heading in that direction. You, you feel sorry for your sin. You confess it to God and you turn around. You start living His way for Him. And this is not just about uh, our outward behavior, our actions, but it's a renewal of the heart, change at the heart level. It's to be a necessary, ongoing part of the Christian life. Uh, there's initial repentance when you become a Christian, uh, but we continue, need to continue to repent as part of a godly life. It's like when you move into a house, you clean for the first time, you clean the house, make sure it's spotless. You don't just leave it there, do you? I hope you don't. You need to keep cleaning, keep things in order. Same with repentance. And repentance leads to good fruit. John talks about in verse 8, uh, producing fruit in keeping with repentance. Uh, so three things we're going to think about in regards to repentance this morning. Firstly, why we need to repent. Why do we need to repent? Secondly, why we don't repent. Why we don't repent. And thirdly, how we can repent. Uh, and I want to say first up, this is a, a tough passage. It's, it's confronting. Uh, so let's ask, ask God again for his help as we get started. Let's pray. Uh, Father, you are the Lord of life. And uh, you have made yourself known in Jesus. And you've given us your word. Please open our hearts and our ears to you this morning. May we be ready to listen. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be moving in our hearts to transform us, that we might be people who bear good fruit for your glory. Amen. So firstly, why do we need to repent? Well, last week we uh, saw that after the birth of Jesus, the Magi came from the east and they came to worship him. Jesus was revealed as king of the nations. And now we see the arrival of John the Baptist. Uh, this rugged, wild man rocks up on the scene and begins preaching in the wilderness. And uh, we see in verse 4 his uh, clothing. He he's, was made of camel's hair. He has a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Now John is not just a, a first century Bear grills who eats bugs. It has uh, an image of Elijah, that Old Testament prophet, who came uh, warning God's people of judgment when they weren't living his way. And John now comes as, he was foreshadowed in the Old Testament as the forerunner to God's king to prepare the way. Uh, we see uh, those words from the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. The king has come. Get ready. And he calls all people to repent. Repent. Why? The kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven has come near. This is God breaking into human history after sin had banished humans from God's presence. The coexistence of heaven and earth, of God's presence among his people, had been fractured, left the world in brokenness and chaos. 
But now here is a message that the kingdom of heaven is within our midst. It's tangible. It's accessible. And this is a new kingdom with new values, new priorities, a new way of living. This is true life from the life of God himself. Life under God's perfect reign of peace and justice and righteousness. John is calling everyone from the kingdom of the world towards the kingdom of heaven to turn from sin and to start living for this new kingdom. The kingdom of heaven has come near because the king himself has come. What kind of king has come? Well, we see in in verse 3, he is the Lord. He's the ruler of everything. And the king has come to judge. The king has come to judge. Uh, Look in verse 7. Uh, John talks about the coming wrath. In verse 10, he talks about every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. In verse 12, he says, The winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barns and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is a picture of judgment. Jesus is coming to separate the wheat from the chaff. Those who submit to him as king, the wheat, to enter the kingdom of heaven, be with God forever. And the chaff, those who reject him as king, to be cast off into hell to face God's judgment. Jesus comes to judge how people have lived what fruit they have produced. Because in the kingdom of heaven, there is no place for sin. You cannot be in the kingdom of heaven and still go on living for the kingdom of this world. Jesus has come to judge sin because it's offensive to God and deserving of his wrath. And the right response to the reign of this king is repentance. To turn from our sin. and Submit to his rule. And we see that in the response of those who listened to John. Those who confessed their sins and were baptised in the River Jordan. The River Jordan is a symbol of freedom and deliverance from sin. How have you responded to the reign of King Jesus? Uh, If you're not a Christian here this morning, today Jesus calls you to repent, to turn to him, to turn away from living for yourself and to come to him and submit to him as your king because he is the king of the universe. If you are a Christian, is repentance an ongoing part of your life?
Well, so often, I think, it's not. So why don't we repent? Why don't we repent? Repent because we're living for the kingdom of this world instead of the kingdom of heaven. We're living under self-rule. And that's what God judges people for, the crime of self-rule, of rejecting Jesus as king of heaven and earth and trying to set ourselves up in his place. And I think when we live for the kingdom of the world with ourselves in charge, there are two traps that lead to not repenting. Firstly, I think, is that we don't think we need to repent. We don't think we need to repent. This is the problem of self-righteousness. We see the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day. Uh, Read along with me in verse 7. When John sees many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. See, their hearts were filled with self-righteousness despite all their religious behaviour. The way Jesus describes them in Mark's Gospel, he said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And John sees straight through them. He sees that their hearts were filled with pride. That they were relying on their own attempts at righteousness. They were saying, we have Abraham as our father. You know, we have our our religious and ethnic background that we can fall back on. But trying to rely on their own Self-righteousness is like trying to stick good fruit on a tree that's actually rotten. And we can do the same thing. In our hearts, we can rely on our own works to say, we're good. You know, I haven't done anything that bad. I'm a pretty upstanding person. I'm pretty nice. I go to church most weeks. You know, that's enough, isn't it? And we think we don't need to repent. Uh, The second trap is that we forget that we need to repent. We forget that we need to repent. This is the problem of worldliness. See, John comes to call people out of the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of heaven. But so often we're caught up living for this world that our hearts have become so engrossed and attached to the things of this world, that we've let ourselves be influenced by the culture around us, its priorities, its values, its desires, with self at the centre. So you end up living for your own comfort and pleasure and security. 
This starts to shape us and take hold of our hearts. So that we forget our true king and his kingdom. And this is subtle. It creeps in. But it's deadly. It's like how Jesus describes the parable of the sower. Uh, the seed that is planted uh, amongst weeds. And the plant grows up, but the weeds choke the plant so that it can't bear good fruit. We can end up not being distinct as Christians, as citizens of heaven. We can be apathetic about his kingdom. And we end up looking the same as everyone else around us. Uh, two particular areas I want to draw to your attention. Um, you may remember last year we had the series in the book of Numbers. Do you remember the sermon on grumbling? How are you going with grumbling? With repenting from your grumbling. We can end up being people who grumble rather than people of joy and contentment because we have something better in store in the kingdom of heaven. What about busyness and distraction? The demands on our time, the demands on our attention. Often we're so caught up in everything that's going on around us and, you know, all, all our responsibilities and, and you know, the distractions, um, you know, our phones and our families and everything that, you know, is filling our minds, rather than being people of rest, people who are focused on living with and for God, with a vibrant spiritual life, who give time and attention to his word and draw near to him in prayer. We end up just being scattered. And we end up looking the same as everyone else around us. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, uh, in another hymn, he describes this worldliness in this way. He says, Some call him, Jesus, the pearl of great price, and say he's the fountain of joys. Yet feed upon folly and vice and cling to the world and its toys. Like Judas, the saviour they kiss and while they salute him, betray. What will profession like this avail in that terrible day? Does the fruit in your life set you apart as someone who is living for the kingdom of heaven? Or do you look the same as everyone else around you? The reasons we don't repent are also the things we need to repent of. This is something... We need to do today, 
right now. What do you need to repent of? Let's think finally how we can repent. How we can repent. John the Baptist points forward to Jesus as the answer. In verse 11, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. See, Jesus comes with power to lead us in repentance, to change us. He's more powerful than John. He's greater and holier because he's the king of heaven. And his transforming power offers and provides freedom from sin, power over sin, the means to grow, the means to produce good fruit. And he does this by baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The other week, Samantha and I went for a hike uh, up through Moriata, and we saw a sign that was talking about uh, backburning or uh, controlled burning that the indigenous people would use um, for two reasons. One was uh, they'd light fire when they were hunting to smoke out the prey so that it would come out into the open so that they could kill it to eat it. And the second reason was that Uh, Burning things back would produce new growth, new vegetation. It would help regenerate the ecosystem. In the same way, we need the Holy Spirit's fire to smoke out our sin, to expose it so that we can put it to death, and then to bring new life, to produce good fruit of the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit's power to reset our gaze on Jesus, to put our our faith back in God and living His way, to open our eyes and to help us turn to trust in Christ's saving work on our behalf, to expose our discontentment that leads to grumbling, put it to death and instead produce joy. Joy that shines like light in a dark place. So we need to be asking the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin. That's hard to do. That's hard to do. We need godly sorrow for our sin. And to confess our sin to God. And then, most importantly, to turn to Christ. Remember the demonstration with the kids before? You know, we don't just walk around over here and then turn around and kind of, oh, where am I? Where are we going? We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus and come over here. Following him, turning back to him. And I think this is something I struggle with. 
in the process of repentance. So often I'll, I'll recognize my sin and, and feel bad and, you know, I'm sorry to God, but my heart is not captured by the beauty and brilliance and gloriousness of Jesus. That he's so much better than whatever our hearts are searching for in sin. To see him as the source of salvation who frees us from our self-righteousness. To see him as the source of all goodness, the wellspring of joy, who frees us from having to live for things of this world because we have the kingdom of heaven and can experience true contentment and joy and rest in him. Jesus is a better king than you or I can ever be. And he invites us to be part of his kingdom. Not just in the future, but now. Life with Jesus starts now. And repentance is part of growing closer in relationship with him. In the second chapter of Romans, uh, it says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. God's kindness. And this is displayed most clearly as we see the king who will one day come to judge first came to be judged. Jesus, the perfect one who never needed to repent. He was the perfect wheat. In his death on the cross became chaff to face the unquenchable fire of God's wrath that we deserve for all the times we've failed to repent. He did this so that you and I can be seen as the finest of wheat in God's eyes, to be gathered up into his barn, to be brought into the kingdom of heaven. And as we grasp that, that will lead us to repent because we want to turn back from sin because our hearts are captured by his love for us. Knowing the one that we turn away from time and time again never turns away from us. So that when we repent, he is always there, facing us, ready to receive us. To grow us as members of the kingdom of heaven so that we can produce good fruit. Let's pray, shall we? King Jesus, uh, you are our Lord, our ruler and our judge. We come to you this morning humbly to recognise the ways we've rejected you as our king. We're sorry for the ways we've relied on our own good works, our striving for self-righteousness, rather than receiving freely your grace poured out for us. We're sorry for our worldliness, ways we grumble and, and, and are distracted by things of this world. Please, Holy Spirit, come and free our hearts from these things. Pour out your mercy, Father, and uh, wash away our sin and lead us in true
Please capture our hearts with the love and beauty and power of Jesus Christ, uh, that our hearts may produce good fruit, that we may proclaim his glory in this world. Amen.